With Joe Robertson set to retire in June, Chair of the OHSU Board of Directors, Wayne Monfries, discusses what he's looking for in OHSU's next president and why you should aim to laugh, think, and cry every day. And later, lower back pain affects an estimated 540 million people worldwide. A recent study recommends a new approach to care that emphasizes staying active as the first line of treatment. It's Tuesday, March 27th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. Wayne Monfries is chair of the OHSU Board of Directors. I talked with him about the presidential search. So first of all, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your background and how did you find yourself on the OHSU Board of Directors? Oh, well, I'm a pretty simple guy, but a 10-year-plus resident of Oregon, originally from New York. Uh, moved out here to work at Nike. And, um, you know, as I spent more and more time in Oregon and got ingrained in the community, I've served on a number of boards, including the First Tee of Greater Portland, uh, as well as Self-Enhancement, Inc. Um, and the commitment to the state has grown over time. And when the opportunity to serve on an institution, the board of an institution as special as OHSU came up, uh, it was certainly something that, that um, I wanted to think about and did not join um, without the conviction of doing everything I can to be the best board member um, that I could be. OHSU's a public corporation of the state of Oregon and the board is appointed by the governor. In many ways, it seems that the board serves as kind of the, the steward of that public mission of OHSU. And you kind of talked about that a little bit. How do you see that role of the board? Well, I think, first off, when you're nominated by the governor to do anything, um, it's an honor. Um, and, and you realize the gravity of that when you um, get that nomination, when you go through the confirmation hearing um, of the Rules Committee of the State Senate. Um, but then you realize you've been selected for a reason. And what's that reason? And that reason is to be a steward uh, for the residents of Oregon, to ensure that this institution is fulfilling its mission to provide uh, medical care and medical education to the residents of Oregon. Um, and I think as board members, that is our first and foremost uh, responsibility, ensuring that this institution continues to serve the, the residents of the state um, and does it in a way that it continues to raise the profile of OHSU and its brand, um, continues to do it in a way that's efficient um, and using the best utilizing the resources provided to it uh, by the state. So I think as board members, we have that responsibility to the residents of the state, and we take that very seriously. You recently took over as chair of the board. How is that role different from being a director? There's a responsibility you feel as a director, um, but I have found that the time spent has significantly increased uh, being chair of the board. And you know that may have to do with the fact that we have the presidential search, um, but I've also found that I want to spend the time to know as much about the institution as I can. I think as a board member, you certainly do that. Uh, you do your onboarding. You stay on, on top of the issues. Um, you follow what's going on in healthcare and, and academic medicine. Um, but as board chair, particularly looking at my predecessor, Maria Pope, who I thought uh, did a fantastic job and, and her knowledge of what was going on was always very impressive. Um, 
I certainly take it seriously to be board chair um, and are doing my best to continue to stay up to speed. So I think the time commitment um, is the big difference maker between being chair and being a director. Uh, but you also have a responsibility and to, to lead the group, to lead the meetings, to keep the conversations on point. Um, and so I draw from my leadership experiences um, in various roles to continue to lead a, a great group of directors who have a lot of insight, a lot of knowledge, a lot of diversity of thought and you know, keep the flow going and, and ensure that we stay on our task, which, again, is to be stewards for this institution and the residents of the state. So let's talk about the presidential search. What is the role of the the board in that search? Well, by the bylaws, it's our responsibility to hire the, the next president. So that's a legacy that we'll take and, and leave behind. Um, so you have to take that responsibility very seriously. This is one of the largest employers in the state, if not the largest employer in the state. And so the next president really impacts a lot of people. And there's a lot of gravity to having that responsibility. Given the status of healthcare in our country, um, the status of healthcare in the state, and the roles that academic health centers play, particularly this one being the only academic health center in the state, the responsibility of choosing the next president is a daunting task, um, but we're excited about it because it brings um, a new era you know, the era that Dr. Robertson leaves behind is fantastic. Uh, what he's shown as president of this institution has been great and has left us in a really good place, uh, which means that the search in terms of attracting people um, has been really, really good because people are interested in this institution and what it has to offer them professionally uh, and from a career perspective. So we've been able to identify really great candidates. Uh, we're excited about um, meeting them and bringing them to campus and, and ultimately getting to the finalists and introducing the finalists to the community because we'll be very, very proud of who we've been able to pick in that space. Um, and any one of the finalists, I'm sure uh, everyone will be proud to say is the next president of OHSU. What are you looking for in our next president? Where we are um, and where Dr. Robertson is leaving us is a fantastic place. Um, what I'm looking for is someone who can take and build upon um, the successes that Dr. Robertson has had and, and really be an accelerator of that. Um, and by accelerator, I mean we're on an upward trajectory, continuing to grow, continuing to prosper. Um, but we can actually accelerate that more. We have a great faculty, a great staff, a great team of people leading a lot of different areas of this institution. And um, I want to see a president that can leverage that, that can uh, bring all of those resources together um, and really work through the three missions that uh, OHSU has. And that's um, the research arm, the education arm, and the clinical arm. And how do you bring all that together um, in a circular fashion because they all impact one another and they continue to go. So the, the better we can do in research um, and, and getting funding for doing the great research we do, it increases the, the, the brand of OHSU, uh, which attracts more and more students to come and learn here. And we continue to teach the best and brightest uh, in the medical fields. Um, and then it provides a base for clinical Right, because we're going we're gonna to do the best clinical work we can because we're the smartest people and, and we'll have really great talent uh, continuing to come out of this institution. Can you tell me a little bit about your personal leadership style and how you would like to 
you know, kind of see that reflected in a new president or what type of leadership you'd like to see from a new president? Yeah, sure. You know, um, I've had the opportunity to be the chief tax officer at Nike for about six years uh, until I left. And, um, you know, I used to have a quarterly meeting with the team uh, to talk about whatever issues uh, were going on or opportunities we had. And uh, one quarter we came up with the view of um, that I stole from Jim Valvano's speech uh, that is about do three things each day. And that's laugh, think and cry. And what do I mean by that in a work context? Um, the laugh part was really about creating an environment where people want to come and work and they have fun doing it because we all work very hard and we spend a lot of time at work. Um, so the environment there should be a positive one. Um, so I used to always stress that we make it fun. We make it a place where people are comfortable, make it a place where people like who they work for and like who they work with. And so as individuals, we have to be that person that people would like to work with. So not the person that people dread calling when they have a question, but the person that people look forward to working with because you provide input, you provide a great environment. The think part is, is about creating an environment where people can grow and develop in whatever they're doing. Uh, they feel like you care about their development, you care about their growth. Um, but as a manager, it's also about not allowing someone to come in and kind of do a job, be able to do the job with their eyes closed and they can kind of just sleepwalk through it because that doesn't make it good for anybody either. They get bored and they look to do something else. And so you lose talent that way. So creating an environment where people can think and grow and develop. Finally, the cry part we get to and people always laugh because they're like, you don't want anybody to cry at work. And I don't. Um, and that's not the point of it. The point of it is about um, having passion, having passion for what you do, uh, seeing how what you do fits into the mission of your group, seeing how the mission of your group fits into the mission of the, the greater enterprise, uh, because they should always work in that way. Um, and when you can do that, then you feel like whatever you're working on on a given day feeds into the future of the organization and you have a, a passion about that. Um, I'm reminded of a story about the, the janitor at NASA that um, you know, someone asked, what are you doing? And, and he said, well, I'm working to put a man on the moon because he realized that what he was doing in his job was to, to advance the greater mission of the NASA organization. And that's the kind of environment as a leader you want to have um, and create that passion about what people are doing each day. Um, and also, you know, creating a, a way where people have a passion for who they work for. They want to go through walls for that person. So as a leader, I always wanted to go through the walls, go through walls for people that I worked for. And I wanted people to go through walls for me. And how do you do that? And that's by creating a personal relationship with whomever you're, you're, you're working with or who's working for you. I used to, used to always have an open door policy. Anyone can come talk to me about anything at any time because I cared about them first as an individual. When I left Nike, one of the people that worked with me said, you know, Wayne, it's a business, but you always reminded us that it's personal. And uh, that was the thing that was very touching for me. So as I go into the presidential search, I take those qualities of laugh, think, cry, and apply that to whoever I'm talking to and interviewing because I want that those type of qualities to come through because I think that will be great for the institution uh, and I think people will, can rally behind that and really be proud of uh, who is the one flying the flag for OHSU as its leader. So as you look to that future under a new president, what excites you most about this new era for OHSU? Well, like I said, um, healthcare in the country is at a at a cross point, 
And so there'll be a lot of changes. So whoever the new president is, is going to face those challenges and opportunities or, or look at those challenges as an opportunity to continue to take the lead on how we deliver healthcare, how we deliver education, how we provide research in that in under the lens of the new environment for healthcare in this country. Um, so it's an opportunity to, to lead and not follow, to use the resources that we have in the best and most efficient way um, to continue to leverage the value of the faculty and staff that we have here. Um, I think it's a great opportunity because we're well positioned to do that, um, right on the cusp of uh, continue to take leadership in this country on uh, academic medicine. Many employees and students don't have the opportunity to interact with members of the board. Um, is there anything you would like to share with the OHSU community as chair of the board? You know, I would love to interact more. Um, in the time that I've had uh, since I've taken over as chair and the time I've spent uh, um, here on campus, um, I would love to meet with more people of the OHSU community, talk a little bit about, you know, what they see and what their values are and, and you know, where they see the, the institution going. Because I think the board would would love that input because we're here to serve uh, not only the residents of the state, but also the community of OHSU. Uh, we wanna make sure things are right, the work environment's right, uh, the leadership is right, the strategy's right, the direction's right, uh, and that people are proud of where they work. And um, as a board member, I want them to be proud of my service and, and that I'm advocating for them. I'm advocating for the residents of the state. Um, and I wanna make sure the things I'm advocating for aren't just solely um, what I might think, but certainly taking feedback because we're all learning as board members. Like I said, we don't come from the medical community. We just come from our jobs and we have a commitment to serve and do what's best for the state, but we're learning. And so hearing from the community here is always an opportunity to learn more and that we can do our roles better. Do you have anything you'd like to add? It's been ridiculously rewarding in the time that I spent on the board. I've been on the board just under two years and, um, the reward and, and honor that I feel in serving has been one that um, I will always hold with me. And as long as I can continue to serve on the board, I will continue to do that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Eric Robinson sat down with Dr. Roger Chow to discuss findings on a new approach to treating chronic back pain. Okay, we're here with Roger Chow, who's director of the Pacific Northwest Evidence-Based Practice Center at OHSU, who's a co-author on a new series of papers being published in The Lancet. Roger, can you tell us what the papers laid out and what the findings were? Sure. The papers really focus on low back pain. I'm looking at it from a global perspective. It's the, one of the most common reasons why people come to see the doctor. Uh, so it's one of the top five reasons. Um, and in terms of symptomatic reasons, it's number two right after the common cold. Um, so it's, it's extremely common. It's the most common reason why people in the United States can't work uh, in, among working age adults. And again, it, it affects almost everybody. And we know this is a worldwide problem too. It's the number one cause of disability so um, in the United States and, and other countries like that, we've been using more and more what I would call high-tech interventions, so things like surgery, invasive procedures, injections, things like that, um, as well as opioids and doing more imaging procedures, especially advanced imaging like MRI. But unfortunately, the data indicate that uh, we have more back pain now than we did uh, 20 or 25 years ago. Um, and we're spending more money on it um, as well. 
Um, so this indicates that the approach to low back pain that we've been using in places like the United States is probably not the best approach. And, you know, I and others have worked on developing guidelines for practice in the United States that have emphasized um, not trying to cure them with a surgery or with a pill, uh, but helping people to cope and manage with their back pain and using the kinds of techniques which are often low cost and low tech that could easily be applied in other parts of the world where they don't have a lot of resources, but back pain is also a, a major problem. For folks who suffer from back pain, what's the recommendation, do you think? What kinds of treatments are appropriate? The main approach to back pain now, I think the state-of-the-art approach is to focus on what we call active non-pharmacological therapies, which means that the best thing for most people with back pain um, is to stay active um, and to stay functional. And to do that, uh, we use things like exercise therapy, um, yoga or tai chi or pilates or other things that people might like to do. We also think it's important for people to uh, be able to manage and cope with their back pain. So learning relaxation techniques, other things that they can do to help um, in terms of, again, improving their function. So there are psychological therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, there are specific relaxation techniques like mindfulness-based uh, relaxation. People can use adjunctive treatments, uh, so things like spinal manipulation, massage, acupuncture can all be helpful. But again, I think the active therapies um, are the most effective understanding what we know about chronic pain. And pills can also be helpful, but they shouldn't be the main part of treatment. We know that pills uh, don't cure people and in most cases don't um, help them to function better. We, we hope that this calls attention to the seriousness of the issue and the importance of you know, using uh, strategies that are effective and, and that we understand are effective, not necessarily going to you know, the most um, invasive or costly procedures. Great. Well, thanks for sitting down with us. Thank you. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced by me and edited by Josh Anderson. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.